Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've been putting together over the last little while where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my thoughts, some of my takes, and other people's takes about the world of buying and selling stocks and ETFs. The goal here is for you to take some nuggets of insight, some nuggets of information, and hopefully bring them back to your own personal investing situation with the goal of helping you make better, more successful investment decisions. My name is Amon Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I try to do is I work with people and help people who want to become more financially independent. The problem that a lot of people have um, in trying to become more financially independent and taking more control of their finances and growing their savings is when it comes to investing, people often go into it feeling confused, intimidated, and ultimately frustrated by the whole concept. They either don't know where to start if they're new to investing or they've been investing for a long period of time but just aren't getting a lot of traction with their portfolio. So what I do as an investment coach is I teach people, I engage with people on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and, and achieve it with confidence. Today's, or I've really actually been looking forward to this episode. This is one of actually my, my favorite, epis, favorite, favorite episodes that I like to do where I like to talk about my last 100 investment decisions. Uh, what I do, as I said, what I do is I teach people how to make better investment decisions. And a lot of times the I do that by helping people develop what I call their core investing competencies, which is improve their uh, education aspect of understanding how to go about making investment decisions. And then also it's just basically continuous engagement. People who put these two elements together or really develop these competencies really well tend to be the ones that are doing do a very good job of making good investment decisions and ultimately are growing their savings more effectively. Uh, and one of the things I do is I, and one of the things that, that really I take pride of, and it's, it's a very important factor of, of how, uh, of what I do and what my, what my consulting business does, what my practice does, is, is try to be transparent about it about how I make my own personal investment decisions. Because as someone who's teaching people how to buy and sell stocks and ETFs, it's one thing for me to teach it, it's another thing to put it into practice, it's another thing to model the behavior. And it's so, uh, if regular user, regular users, regular readers and uh, listeners to my podcast will know that I like to jump on here and also jump on my blog and share people on a fairly periodic basis uh, my own personal investment decisions where I get to share with you, I believe it's really important for me to share with people the thought process that leads me to make these decisions. And the thought process that I use and the methodology and the process I go through are concepts and principles that I teach in my uh, various investing courses. And so I, it's important that I be transparent and put that out there so you can see that actually um, the benefits of utilizing the types of process and, uh, that I use to make investment decisions, how they are put into practice. Um, one of the things that people ask me about when they 
hear about me and want to talk about what I do in terms of learning about investing is, is do you actually make money doing this? Um, like, what's your performance? And I get asked this a lot of time, and it's a really legitimate question. And again, it comes back to this whole transparency factor and, I guess, uh, integrity factor of, you know, it's one thing to say a whole bunch of things, but do you back it up? Do you talk the talk? Do you walk the walk? So uh, what I try to do on an annual basis, uh, usually at the end of the year, is I kind of uh, post uh, my own scorecard of how I did in terms of, uh, you know, my portfolios, uh, in terms of the returns that I generated, and I kind of go through a, a pretty deep dive into my, um, to my performance, and I do that on an annual basis. It's nice. But to me, I don't think it's a very rich kind of analysis because it's a snapshot and you're just taking a picture at a certain point in time of what your portfolio looks like. And as we all know, um, our portfolios don't, you know, our stocks and ETFs that we own don't just sit in a vacuum. They are in constant engagement with the world and the business environment. So taking a snapshot at a point of time, to me, I don't think really can demonstrate uh, how effective you are as an investor. And to me, what investing is about at its core, it's about making decisions, it's about making educated decisions. And ultimately, the more educated decisions that you make that are ending up successful, you know, you have a pretty good chance of having more money in your pocket than when you started off with, because ultimately, that's why we do this stuff, right? That's why I do this. That's why I'm into investing is because it's about making money, growing my money, growing my savings so I can have that financial freedom later on in my life to have more flexibility to do things that I want to do, right? Who doesn't want that? Uh, so I thought, I've been thinking about, you know, about a few years ago, I thought, you know, there's got to be a better way that I can kind of project and demonstrate and measure my own my ability to make investment decisions so i can be transparent to to the people i i, I work with and the people i could I potentially could work with so what i did a few years ago was i created essentially a list and i just went through all the, the transactions and trades and decisions that i made and basically went through in a chronological order i said you know what i'm just going to take a sampling of the last 100 investment decisions that i made and take a look at them and just do a little bit of a deep dive into seeing how I actually did. Did I make a lot of investment good decisions or did I make a lot of crappy decisions? What did that look like in terms of returns and performance? Um, so I started that about three years ago and uh, I thought I'd do this on an annual basis. And so what I wanna share with you today is my, uh, my latest update of my most recent 100 uh, investment decisions. Uh, you can go on my website, sageinvestors.ca, and download my list, as well as a blog post uh, where I go into a little bit of a, uh, some of the some analysis. So today I'm just really sharing you some of the highlights from, from my analysis of my own uh, investment decisions. So before I get into some of the, the numbers and the results, I just wanted to set just lay down, I guess, one particular ground rule is in terms of the defining what the concept of an investment decision is. Uh, to me, and in the context of how I, I, I approach this analysis, to me, an investment decision is, is, an, is an iteration where you buy a stock and eventually sell it. 
And so the result of that buy and sell decision, that iteration, is ultimately that investment decision. So the decision could be either you bought that stock and it went up in value, so that would be a positive decision, or you bought the stock and it fell lowered in value, that would be a bad decision. Or you buy the stock and you sold it at the same price as you bought it, that would obviously be a break even. Um, so what I did was I went back and looked at my last 100 decisions where I had a buy action and then ultimately a sell action. And took a look and see what the numbers looked like, what the ratio, what the distribution of those decisions were. Uh, one thing I did not include in when I was going through my list were uh, buy-sell decisions involving, uh, uh, what was it called, currencies. Like one of the things I like to do is do a little bit of currency hedging. So I made some decisions around that, but I didn't include that in this listing. It's really purely decisions in terms of buying and selling stocks and ETFs. Um, that was kind of my uh, universe of, comp uh, of de investment decisions that I followed it. So let's get down to the point. I've been babbling on too much. So at the end of the day, how did I do? So if you look at the most recent 100 decisions, and this goes up to July 30th, I believe, um, out of those last 100 decisions that I made from July 30th going backwards, 82 of those decisions were profitable. And last year when I did the same snapshot, it was uh, 84 out of 100. So I went from 84 to 82. So ultimately, 82 investment decisions that I made involved me buying a stock or an ETF and selling it for a higher price. So ultimately, growing my savings. So I have to usually take a deep breath because I'm kind of, whenever I, I read this and I say it, I'm actually kind of floored every time I say it because that's ridiculous. How the hell can I make 82 successful out of 100 decisions, 82 of them profitable? Like 82% of my decisions were profitable. And to me, that's insane because like just put it into context, like think about baseball. Um, we celebrate batters who can bat 300 or higher. So in other words, we celebrate hitters who can hit the ball, get on base uh, three times out of every 10, which means they're actually failed to do that seven times out of every 10. Um, that's crazy. So like if you put that like my percentage here in the context of a baseball batter, like I'm like crazy, like it's insane. Um, I'm continuously floored by it and it's really empowering and it really gives me a lot of confidence to show that, hey, you know what, the stuff that the ideology, the, the investment strategy and ideology uh, that I've developed over the years um, and the playbook that I'm using to implement my decision making, it's working so far, knock on wood. Um, that's crazy. So essentially, like four out of every five decisions I make are positive decisions, have been making are, are pretty positive decisions. Um, if you were to break down the returns of those 82 profitable decisions, 11, almost 12% of those decisions generated a return of at least uh, break even and under 10%. 31% of the decisions were be generated returns of between 10 and 20%. 45% of those decisions yielded returns between 20 and 30%. And then about 9.4% of those successful decisions yielded returns of at least 30% or higher. So factoring this all in together, 84% of my decisions, successful decisions, 
generated a double-digit return, which is crazy, and I'm extremely proud of it. Um, if you're going into total returns for the whole 100 iterations, uh, the average return for, those, for these 100 uh, decisions was 13.7%. Last year when I did it, it was 13.5%, and the year before, it was 10.9%. So it's getting better. The median return, i.e. the return on my 50th decision, uh, chronologically, was 19.6%, which was down from 19.9% and 18.1% in the 2007 uh, snapshot. So, you know, to me, these are like, this is solid. Like, these are solid numbers, and I don't, like, I don't know what else you want. Um, I'm really pleased, and I'm really, you know, I'm patting myself on the back. Yeah, I think that's what I'm doing. Um, but it just, to me, I feel kind of empowered, and it just reinforces just the concept of having um, having an investment ideology. And when I look at the returns, the fact that I'm, you know, generating a lot of my returns over 20%, it, it links up really nicely with my investment playbook. Because in my investment playbook, the decisions I make, or I'm striving to make, are decisions where I'm, gonna, I'm looking for stocks and ETFs where I can get at least 20% return. That's my comfort level. That's my return expectation. And so the fact that 54% of those decisions generated at least 20%, it gives me some confidence and gives me some hope that, you know what, I'm, I'm staying pretty true to my playbook. I'm not deviating from my playbook at all. And that's the challenge we have as investors. We can come up with a nice, a lot of people have a really hard time with investing is because they don't stick to their plan. They go to a financial advisor, they go to a bank or broker, and they design this nice little fancy little schmancy plan with all kinds of charts and trajectories and things like that. They get charged like a couple of grand for the, for the privilege, and then they just kind of don't bother. They tinker with it. They, they don't follow it religiously. They don't even read it. Sometimes they ignore it. And so when I look at the results that I've been able to post, and I know the fact that I'm, I'm following my playbook, it's, it's telling me that if you follow your playbook, you stay true to your strategies and your investing ideology, your chances of making more and more successful investment decisions is going to increase. It's going to go in your favor. Um, what it's telling me also is I'm generating good real returns. Ultimately, the, the benchmark we talk about, you know, Bay Street and Wall Street, it's all about beating the market, beating the street which is garbage because it's really hard to do on a consistent basis over a long period of time. There's enough data and research out there to tell you that. The best we can do as investors is, is basically maintain our purchasing power. So if we're earning returns that are at least greater than inflation, we're doing okay. If you look at returns in the stock market over the last 150 years, they average between six to 8%. So putting these two concepts together, if you're earning at least two to 6% return on your stocks, you're doing all right. You're covering your purchasing power and you're growing your investments meaningfully. That's not what Wall Street or Bay Street are gonna tell you. They're gonna tell you you have to be earning 10, 15, 20% return, this, which is unrealistic. The other thing I looked at when I looked at those 100 decisions that I made were some of those decisions, uh, 33 of those decisions that I made were actually repeat decisions. They were actually decisions uh, that I involved buying stocks or an ETF multiple times. Um, they repeat buy and sell the same ETF or the same stock. 
Um, and that tells me that's another lesson that I have learned is that you can generate high returns not necessarily by buying stocks and hoping they're going to double in value. For me, my playbook is about looking for stocks that I can get at least 10, 20, at least 20% return. And when I get those returns, be comfortable enough to go back into it if those same stocks were to fall back in value, um, to go back in and generate another 20% return. So it, it's a, to me, it's a more incremental way of generating higher returns is through a more iterative process of buying and selling uh, repeatedly um, high quality, well-run businesses. And the fact that a third of those companies on my top 100 list, on my, my last 100 list, were that kind of iterative uh, buy, repeat, buy and sell um, decision making. The other thing I want to also look at also in, when I was going through the numbers was how long did I hold these stocks for, and these ETFs for? What was my holding period? Did I flip these things? Um, did I just buy and sell kind of like a day trader, flipping it, you know, buying it, holding it for three weeks or three minutes and selling it? Or, or how long did I hold these stocks? To me, successful investing is about staying in the game for long periods of time. It means being in stocks for long periods of time. Your chances of getting higher returns are greater the more you're in the game. Uh, so it's about holding periods. And so I'm cur I was curious to see of the, when I went through these 100 decisions, how long did I how long did I hold these positions? Did I hold them for a few days or did I hold them for a few months or a few years? Um, it's really interesting, a couple of things. Um, first of all, the time period. Um, if you look at the, the first decision I made versus the 100th decision I made, it, that, the time period actually spanned 11 years. So going back to 2008 was the first decision that I made. So that's 11 years. To, it took 11 years for me to make these 100 decisions. And the 50th decision that took place in that span was uh, between October 2016 and December 2016. So it's interesting, the first 50 decisions took eight years and the last 50 took three years. And that seems to be reflected in my holding period averages. The average time, I've, average holding period for for the stock, for the stocks that I owned in the, the one in the top 100, was 349 days, just under a year. Last year it was 306, 386 days, and the year before that was 402 days. And if you go to 2016, it was actually 419 days. So it's interesting to see that my holding periods, the times that I've been holding stocks, on average, have been falling quite consistently. So that kind of got me thinking. I was like, wow, am I actually? Um, why am I doing that? Why am I holding stocks for what seems to be, on average, a lower period of time? I don't know. I think it's a lot of it's the circumstance. I think a lot of it is just um, the nature of the market was just creating situations where I had to react to them and make decisions on them. Um, yeah, I thought it was uh, something I think I'm still kind of trying to figure out. Um, So those are kind of like, I guess those are some of my numbers, um, the basic numbers. And to me, it just reinforces again how important it is um, to really stay true to your investment ideology, how it's important to have a playbook that you execute religiously. Um, it's about having a concept of understanding what creates wealth, how stocks 
increase and decrease in value, and then applying those principles consistently into your decision making. Um, these are important factors that go into uh, making decision. And what I and, and that's really really what I want to share with you is that if you do these if you follow these basic principles, um, you can get really good results. Like I'm sure a lot of people on Bay Street and Wall Street would kill for these kind of results. Um, but it's hard for them because there's a certain, you know, there's a lot of politics in play. Um, they just don't have that ability to make those type of decisions. They're holding period pressures to, to, to move, thing, move stocks around and churn and all that is much higher than for me. I'm not under any gun um, to do that. So really important stuff there. Um, now, so far, everything is all nice and rosy and, you know, <laughs> tickety-boo. It's like, okay, I mean, okay, you know, great. You made, like, four out of five decisions or are good decisions for you. Um, you know, there's got to be some flaws going on here. Like, you know, there's got to be some, uh, some skeletons you got going on here in the closet. And there are. Um, for people who have been regular followers of my blog and podcast, you'll know one of my... I've been quite adamant. You know, the fact of the matter is I'm talking about stocks that I've been buying and selling over the last, you know, 11 years. Um, the reality is through most of that time I've been quite skeptical about the valuations in the stock market. I think stocks on the, in the aggregate are, have been overpriced because of low interest rates have forced people to take on more risk than they're really comfortable with. It's inflated a lot of asset prices um, and it's forced me to make decisions too. So as much as I've been buying stocks I've also been shorting stocks. and. Uh, as I, people, reg, people who have been regular followers will know, I've been quite, sh I've been short the S&P 500 for at least the last four or five years. It hasn't been a good trade. I'm down over 60% on that. And obviously, you know, it's not reflected on this list because I haven't sold it yet. So the second I sell that position and get out of that short position, um, it's going to find its way on this list. But I haven't sold it yet because I have a firm you know, I'm still I'm still convinced that there is a an epic blow up to be had, and uh, you know we got a mad king out there. Um, he's doing all kinds of trade trash talking. We got negative bond yields out there. We've got slowdowns in economic growth. You know, the 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 seeds are there for for an epic blow up. Hasn't happened yet, and so but I'm still short, and it's been painful on a paper basis. But until I sell that position. Um, it's not going to happen, and it's an interesting one because it's I like in a way it's it kind of it's a kind of a reminder to me of what because that decision I made to buy to go short was made before I really became all hardcore about having a playbook and about having an investing ideology. This, that decision really predated my belief in having a good strategy and a playbook and a plan uh, for decision making, and. In a way, it's kind of nice to have it still on the books because it kind of reminds me of what can happen when you don't do that. Um, so it's been a painful loss, but I think there's a lot that I've learned from that. Um, it reinforces the element that it's important to have a loss, an exit strategy, of, of having a strategy to manage your losses. Because that's one of the things we don't do well as investors is we're we let emotions take place. Yes, it's called loss aversion. We tend to double down when we make bad decisions and make them make things 
worse. And so my decision to go short on the S&P 500 was a bad decision because I should have got out of it the 20%. And I probably would have more money in my pocket from that decision, but now I've lost a lot more money on that. So it's a bit painful. It's, it's a much more painful and it's a harder decision to recover from. So I've learned from that. And I think that, has, that goes a long way to when I look at um, the decisions that and where I lost money. So when I look at companies, a decision that I made over the top over that 100, I lost 18% on Best Buy, 21% on Trican Weld, 19% on BlackBerry. Under Armour was my worst decision out of the 100, where I lost 37%. Uh, GE <clears throat> down 20%. Those are much different decisions that I made from my short position because I had an exit strategy on them. And the fact that I've, I've kept my losses to that low amount of 20% is, again, testament to having the real benefits of having a playbook and having a strategy and an investment plan and executing it. So uh, I don't know if I'm gonna get too much. Uh, so I'm really pleased, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. And I wanted to share it with you because it's really important for me as somebody who teaches people how to make decisions that I'm modeling the behavior. And so hopefully this gives you this insight into some of the decisions I've been making and how I've been making them and the results that I'm getting from them and why um, having these principles and having a plan is really critical to making good decisions and then practicing it. So, so far it's been good, but the stock market has a really fun, funny way of punching you in the face. And you, before you can get all high and mighty and say you know or be a know-it-all, uh, the market can punch you in the face and, and bring you back to earth. So I'm humbled by the results that I've been getting, but I know the market can punch you in the face and really take you down a couple of notches. So you have to always have your guard up and you always have to be focused on your investment strategy and your investment plan. Really interesting stuff for me and really kind of uh, affirming stuff to me and validating for me to know that, hey, you know what, the stuff that I'm talking about and trying to help people with and trying to help people develop, it can get your results. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. So that's all I got for you this week. And if you have any questions about the, about the report, about my analysis, you can check me out on, drop me a nine on my website, sageinvestors.ca. Or you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Sage Investors. You can also find me on Facebook. Just do a search on Sage Investors. I have my webpage there. If you're interested also, I do publish a weekly email called In The Loop where I share any new uh, content that I'm posting on my website in terms of videos, podcasts, blogs, um, as well as also content that I'm finding on, you know, during my own research. Uh, that I'm using to help me make better investment decisions. I share any interesting nuggets of information, research reports, insights, perspectives by other people um, through the email. So if you're interested, just jump on my website, sageinvestors.ca, drop your email in there and you'll get on the email list. I usually send them out every Wednesday morning. And finally, uh, I'd be remiss to say if you're interested in learning more about investing in terms of buying and selling stocks, interested in improving your investing competencies, uh, by all means check out my, the courses that I teach. I teach courses online. I have some online on-demand courses on buying and selling stocks and ETFs as well as uh, some classroom, uh, online classrooms that I do. Uh, I teach the same courses uh, live periodically throughout the year. So check it out. Um, check out when my next set of courses, uh, live courses, are going to be coming out. I'm more than happy to uh, work with you. 
So that's all I got for you this week. This has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors. Thanks for listening in, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.